welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Kirk, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. I've been uh, sexually sober. Uh, as I say, not necessarily well, but I've been sexually sober since October 13th, uh, 1989. Uh, would you uh, please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Uh, this is to be a panel meeting. Um, <laughs> okay. Are you also speaking? No, I'm just filling in till they show up. No, I, uh, I'm hoping there's a third one too. Anyone else here that's going to be on the panel? I guess we could draw lots. <laughs> um, the topic is um, trust. Okay. I'll go. Uh, trust. Uh, can I? Can I trust? And can others trust? Uh, me. Um, for anyone that has been to a meeting that I have uh, regularly attend would know I, I'm usually not lost for words and, and always glad to speak and I have to say today I'm really um, I'd rather be someplace else other than speaking here um, but I know my sponsor would say this is the place I need to be. I um, a member that I've known for probably eight, nine years um, from SA had committed suicide last night, so it's hard to be here. Um, and someone that uh, struggled with another mental illness. Okay. I'll set the mic back there, but it's, it's going to be hard. It's only for the tape. So... Um, I'll try to speak up, raise your hand if you don't, cannot hear me. Um, but I know that one of my first thoughts, um, but one of my first thoughts when I heard that was that, uh, God must have a plan. And, uh, that would not have been my reaction, uh, 10 or 11 years ago. Um, the um, I know that for me, um, before anyone can trust me, I have to learn first to trust. And when I came and trust someone other than Kirk, um, when I came into the program, I trusted no one. Uh, but I really felt, um, when I read the 12 and 12, I related to step 2 and 3 greatly. But it was probably a year later before I ever got around to reading the 12 and 12. But I wanted to open with uh, what it, that first uh, moment of, of starting to trust. Um, and it's from step 2 and the 12 and 12. The moment they read step 2 most... SA newcomers are confronted with a dilemma, sometimes a serious one. Uh, how often have we heard them cry out, look at what you people have done to us. You have convinced us we are sexaholics, our lives are unmanageable. 
Having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness, you now declare that none but a higher power can remove our obsession. And that was my experience coming to my first meeting of SA. Some of us won't believe in God, others can't, and still others who do believe that God exists have no faith, whatever, he will perform this miracle. Yes, you've got us over the barrel, all right, but where do we go from here? And, you know, I did not begin to trust over some great, noble cause. It was, I had no other choice. Uh, everything I did didn't work. And I came to my first SA meeting and I learned that there was another way and I was willing to say, okay, what I do doesn't work. I will try it. That was the only reason I would try it. Um, and for me, I guess it talks about having a belief and the difference for me between belief and trust is, uh, do I believe in a higher power? Sure. But do I really trust a higher power? That's a whole different ballgame. And someone once explained that, you know, you're on top of a burning building 12 stories up, and 30 feet across is another building not on fire, and I will stay at that building, and there's a tightrope. I could easily walk across 30 feet on this tightrope, but I won't. I'll stay there, and I will not move until my butt is burning. And if somebody came along with a wheelbarrow and said, here, I'll wheel you across there. I believe he could do that. Trust is getting in the wheelbarrow. And for me in SA, the only, at the point I was willing to get in the wheelbarrow was when the flames were so close, it's like, okay, it's imminent death. And it was still like, well, I don't, maybe, okay. And for me that, Trust is taking that action. And, um, you know, step three talks about in the 12 and 12. Um, like all the remaining steps, step three calls for affirmative action, for it is only by action that we can cut away the self-will that has always blocked the entry of God. Um, so for me, it's been coming to believe there's somebody greater than myself and then it's being willing to take that action is when that trust started to develop. And it's, for me, somebody once said, you know, trusting God is like learning to ride a bicycle. I fell over a lot. I made progress. I fell over, but I made progress. But eventually, I kind of got the hang of it. Uh, but I really had to learn how to do that. Um, and it was uh, by going to meetings and learning to trust a sponsor, by learning to trust people in the program, it was uh, willing to take steps of faith that I, you know, the, the old saying that you can tell what a, an addict surrenders by the claw mark. You know, it's like, okay, I'll surrender. You know, when God would pull it away, okay, I'll let go of it. Um, and it worked out. Uh, my sponsor used to have a great saying, you know, look at all that worry for nothing. You know, because I had to learn to let go and, and put trust God. But, you know, first I'd worry about it for three months. And then it worked out. Uh, and eventually I could worry about it for an hour. I only wasted an hour doing that. Um, the other part, can others trust me? And I'm going to speak uh, as a married sexaholic about what it was like um, for somebody uh, married to me to learn how to trust a, an, an addict who, uh, when I got into the program, one of the things I said is, you know, at least I've never lied to my wife about my addiction. One of my first you know, few meetings. And, and they were polite. They didn't laugh. I'm sure they just went, Keep coming back. <laughs> um, I, I did lie. I lied a lot. Uh, I, uh, I and I lied even more by what I didn't say. Um, so 
I knew there was a problem when I go to meetings and people say, you know, I'm a totally untrustworthy person. I was like, well, you know. So, yeah, I did have an issue about that. And I, I was asking my wife, you know, how long did it take you before you trusted me? I was thinking, you know, probably six, seven months. She's like, a long time. <laughs> um, but it was... Um, what she said was, when she saw my actions meeting what I said, not that, you know, I'm going to a lot of meetings, she saw me going to a lot of meetings. She saw me talking to my sponsor on the phone. Not listening, but she saw that I made phone calls. Um, she saw me do service work. She saw me uh, sponsor other people. Uh, she saw me working with other people. Uh, and slowly, my actions started meeting what I was saying, and she began to trust. When we first got into recovery, I used to travel on the road, and she said, I want to know where you're at every night you're on the road. And, and this is somebody that traveled that never made a hotel reservation in 10 years. Like, you know, it was like, so I mapped out 60 days, you know, it's like, where I would be. And she wanted me to call every night. And I didn't like that. My sponsor said, she asked you, then you do that. Okay. And I don't know at what point it was that she didn't ask me for where I'm going to be every night. Because she, at that point, I guess, trusted that I was where I said I would be. Um, and I, I still, to this day, try to call. If I'm going to be a little late, I call. So, oh, you don't need to call. But I call. Um, when she started to see a change in my attitude, uh, you know, it's one thing to say I'm sorry, but after so many times, there's no meaning. Um, when um, uh, instead of criticizing her, uh, you know, it's the old, if you spot it, you got it. I used to, oh, I don't like this. And my sponsor got me to start whenever I saw things I didn't like in her. It was probably my issue. You know, one, like, my wife would never say thank you. It's like, well, guess what, Kirk? So I started saying thank you to my wife. And I remember her one time saying, you know, you don't have to say thanks for cooking supper all the time. So, and I, you know, I don't even know if she says thank you more or less now. But it's not an issue in our marriage. Um... When uh, she started to see the willingness, but it's always about the action. And, and to me, that's where the difference comes with trust. Um, and uh, in my program, as I've started to trust little things, that when um, uh, big things come up, then I find out, you know, I, I, I know for certain eight, nine years ago, my reaction to, to the news I got this morning wouldn't have been, I know God has a plan. Um, and um, we had some struggles with our adoption and uh, that drug on for about seven weeks. And, you know, our, afterwards, the social worker said, you know, well, you guys have just handled this so well. She said, I've just been, I mean, we've all just been amazed. And it was you know, talking with my sponsor, he's like, well, you know, how, whatever God's plan is, it's going to work out. You know, and, and now I, I have to admit, there are times that I just wish God would let me know a little sooner. But I'm willing to let God have his plan. And uh, with that, I, I'm going to pass. Well, I appreciate Kurt's remarks because I uh, I also have struggled with trust, and I imagine everyone in this room has. Can you hear me back there? Okay. Well, I'll speak up. I'll get a little closer. I'll use the mic to you. Okay. Uh, my name is Kathy M. Uh, my sobriety date is January 15, 1996. So I have five years and six days uh, in this program and sobriety. I count my sobriety from my first day in program because by our definition, I was actually sober before that, 
Um, and that's what's interesting about this addiction is all of us are all over the board. And the women in particular, our addiction takes so many different forms. And I would say that when Neil asked me yesterday if I would give service by being on this panel, the first thought was absolute sheer abject terror because, um, you know, coming in and speaking off the cuff is not exactly something I like to do because I don't trust that you're still going to like me after I just share my heart. Big trust issue for me to be sitting here and doing this. And those in this room that know me well know that I like to be really prepared for whatever I do and that it's difficult to do this. So I am very glad that he asked me because I need to grow in this area. And that is a good example of the way I'm learning to trust my higher power, that when someone asks me to speak, I don't have to spend the whole night before, whole morning before, even the hour before doing any preparation except 11-step prayer and meditation, which is what I did do. And no less than Roy Kay taught me that, because I was asked um, not long ago to be on a television talk show and talk about a midlife crisis that I had. It was the Mars and Venus uh, television program. And a guy in this program um, was actually the guest, and he asked me to go on as the good news that marriage can go on after midlife crisis. And during that time, uh, I was really trying to prepare what I would say, and I realized that I wasn't going anywhere with it, and so I uh, called Roy and asked him, you know, to pray for me, and he said, okay. So when he prayed, he prayed that God would show me that I don't have to prepare. (laughs) 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 So I stopped preparing and just prayed and asked God for his help, and um, a friend, I was in Singapore when it aired, that's where I've been living, and I got the tape. And you know what? It was pretty darn good. I have to say it. It was actually pretty good. It wasn't tough. And so my trust um, that Roy has all of our best interests at heart was not in his play. So that was a really good thing. Um, and I don't know where it's going with that, so I'm going to go back to what I started to tell you, which is... got a couple things. Um... Under the spiritual basis of addiction on page 53 of our white book, talks about separation. It says, from our very first attitude change, we isolate ourselves. From our very first attitude change, we isolate ourselves. We start building a wall around us, especially between us and those we are close to. It may appear that just the opposite is true. We can be outgoing, warm, personable, charming, lovable, and kind, as long as it serves the self. Well, that would be me. Give me a microphone and let me sing you a song and let me wear something appropriately slinky. And I know pretty, I can trust pretty well that you're going to like what you see and what you hear. I'm not bragging. That's just who I was before this program. And that was almost the first thing I had to do was get out of my get-up that would attract people and make them like me. I had to actually work on character issues. If we aren't attracting someone by our character issues, then we're not really attracting them. We're just using them. I was that personable, warm, likable person, and I can even do that in sponsorship. I have seven wonderful sponsors, one in Singapore, one in Denmark, and five here. And I am so thankful for each one of them because they help me learn how to trust. They see me at my most vulnerable because I let them. I, on the other hand, have a very difficult time trusting those ahead of me in the program. I've had three sponsors and I have not been able to keep one for whatever reason. They either go back out or they just never call or they make themselves unavailable. So to me, women are unsafe, unavailable, and untrustworthy. I'm learning in this program that that's a lie. My mother committed suicide seven years ago after five attempts. She just checked out. Can't do this anymore. My mom was a sex addict. Dad was too. He died of cancer in May. And I got the relationship with him healed before he died. I told him that I was a sexaholic. I thought, you know, might as well. He's going to die. 
might as well just be real. And he said, wow, that's amazing, Cass, so am I. And he gave me his first step. He gave me the litany of all my mom's friends he slept with. And that's okay. I'm all right. I, I knew it anyway. But it was good for him. And he got a relationship with a higher power. So my trust in men, which wasn't in as bad a shape, is really pretty good. Women were a little tougher. But the women in my life, in this program, and in, I'm, I'm a double winner. I'm an Essanon as well. The women in my life, in this program, and in Essanon, have really taught me that women can be there for you. I don't have any problem being there for them. But believing that they are there for me is really the rub. Last night, I asked a woman here at the, at the conference to be my sponsor. And the reason I didn't ask her sooner is I thought my sobriety date was beyond hers. And five years in this program, except for Sylvia, who's a mainstay, there really aren't too many women with more than five years. So I've been kind of waiting and listening and looking around. But last night, it was a big step for me to go to this woman and ask her to be my sponsor because I'm facing the fact that I don't trust women. So now, and she said yes, by the way, she actually gave me direction right on the spot about a big problem I'm facing at this moment. That was so good. I actually told her my problem, and she said, this is what you need to do. I said, oh my gosh, I'm taking direction. This is so good. And I wanted to take direction, don't get me wrong. I I go to other people in the program. I just haven't had an actual sponsor. And I think it just mirrors the rest of my life. That women aren't there for me, so I just basically didn't look as hard for one as I should have. So if you don't have a sponsor today, better examine why. Maybe you got a trust issue, too. That's all I'm going to say about that. A couple other things I wanted to bring up. Under step 10, page 129, of course, step 10 is continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And here's the paragraph that caught my eye. I was wrong. Between two people, these are the most beautiful words in the world. We were great at saying, I love you, I need you, I want you. It was easy. The words often gushed out on a flood of fuzzy feelings straight out of our sickness. But these other three words, admitting our wrong, are the hardest words in all the world to say. And the question here is why? Well, there's lots of reasons why, but I'd like to answer it for myself. The reason for me is pride and the fact that I, if I tell you the truth, perhaps you won't love me anymore. If I'm really honest and say I was wrong, when just the opposite is true. How humbling it is to admit it when we're wrong, when we have really, really blown it. Especially to a spouse. And being married 29 and a half years, I know about being a married sexaholic. I know all about it. And my husband for years really struggled with the fact that I couldn't say those three little words. I was wrong. But in this program, in these five years, I've actually learned to examine my character defects and see where I'm wrong in the situation. I can always tell you where you're wrong, but that isn't what the program is about. We need to examine where we are wrong. What is it that's making us uncomfortable? And my discomfort is always a clue that something is wrong. Because I believe that in this program, if you are working your program and if you're sober, you have a level of comfort and peace that's unsurpassed. I know that I do. I've been living across the world in Asia for two and a half years. I just arrived about 11 days ago on my way to move into Houston, hopefully permanently. And, um, you know, living in a foreign country has its own set of, of interesting problems. But uh, while I was there, I even learned some new levels of trust. And I, because, well, trust in my husband, because he traveled in Asian countries 70% of his time. 
if any of you have ever traveled in Asia, you know that sexaholism is rampant, but recovery isn't. There is one, uh, in Singapore, there is one recovery group, one sexaholic anonymous group, and they didn't open it up to women until about a year ago. So I was basically without meetings except when I was home here in the States. So, and there was nothing close to an Essanon group. So when I was in town here, I'd go to Essanon too. Because I, I admit to you, it concerned me having my husband travel to that degree in those countries. One time we went into a, a hotel together and decided to get a nice relaxing massage. Well, these were not your local massage therapists that we have here in the States. <laughs> these gals had other things in mind with both of us and it was very frightening to me I was fairly new in my recovery and I'll tell you, it freaked me out but um, let me get back to I was talking about myself let me get to uh, get up somewhere to share with you how much more time do I have? three or four minutes? Okay. page 148 in the white book true union We saw that the truth revealed in the 12 and 12 applied squarely to us. The primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. I was talking to a friend in the hall today who was telling me how much they were struggling with a disconnect. Disconnect from their marriage, disconnect from others, even disconnect from here. They didn't want to be here. I don't know how many of you brought that baggage with you, that disconnected feeling that, well, I'm going to go because my sponsor said to or because it sounds like a good thing to do for the weekend, double three has decent food. Nah. Hopefully you came here for your own recovery. Hopefully you came here to get real with at least one or two people to say who you really are, what you're really struggling with. And I'll tell you right now, I am struggling with Number one, those three words, I was wrong. I'm struggling with priority. I'm struggling with boundaries. I have all those struggles right now. Five years into working a good program, you guys. It doesn't get easier, it gets harder. The funnel gets narrower the closer you get to your goal. Over this weekend, I've had to face the fact that when my husband sometimes asks me to do something, if I don't agree with it, hook, line, sinker, chapter, line, and verse, I just don't do it. And that's not a good thing for me. I, this man loves me to pieces. He'd do anything for me. And when he asks me to do something, then I need to do it. Well, I didn't do what he asked me to do. And I'm faced with the character defect of dishonesty because I made him think I was doing it. Number two, a lack of trust in my higher power because even if what he's asking me to do seems a little bit off base, I need to be able to go over the top of him to a higher authority and say, what do you think? And and I did do that. And guess what my higher power said? You need to do what he said. So last night, all this to say, that, that level of peace and comfort, I don't have it. My husband's really upset with me, and with good reason. In fact, I have to walk out of here today and probably leave the conference for a couple of hours and go take care of this problem that is putting our entire life savings at risk at this moment if I don't. I mean, we're talking big stuff. And I mentioned this to a friend here last night, to a man, and he said, Oh, your husband's right, you need to go do that. And I went, hoping he wouldn't say that. But the one man, I said, it must be a guy thing. And he says, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I'll close with just telling you that I'm learning trust in my life too. I'm learning trust of other women, trust in God, trust in my husband, and trust in you. And I really appreciate your kind attention. Thank Now we begin the sharing portion of this meeting. It's a taped meeting, so please use the microphone if you would like to share.
means you've got to come up here and sit down. Not that bad. If you are uncomfortable about being on tape, then we respectfully ask that you simply participate by listening. And it's now open for sharing. My name is Susan, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. This is a great topic for me. I struggle with trust immensely on both male and female side. And uh, and even within myself, I, I trick myself constantly that um, I'm trustworthy and I can trust others. And I find myself um, continuously struggle, struggling to get sobriety in the program. I've been in the program now for five years, and Kathy's my sponsor. And she has been... Um, just a, a really neat example of a woman that I can look to and trust. And that has been um, just a huge step toward recovery. Um, however, I still am just a technical sober. I had over two years sobriety and lost it. And I've been struggling this whole last year, just um, hitting some major walls because I've been unable to trust in my higher power. I've been unable to trust in the, the program. I I haven't worked it, and uh, so I'm, I'm really glad that I'm here and seeing the support and all the different sobriety dates and all the struggles, just the realities of what we deal with as a group, and it just means the world to me, and um, I'm hoping that I can take some of this information with me to apply it and start really learning to trust more, especially my higher power in the program, and reaching out and being very honest instead of um, hiding behind what I want people to think that I am versus what I am and where I'm at in the program. So, thanks. Hi. My name is Harry. I'm a sexaholic. Without my hearing aids, I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not have any remarks. <laughs> no, but I... Can't hear my my own voice. Sounds so loud. I don't know whether it's too loud or and I'm so conscious. And I, okay, louder. That's good. On the road, up or down. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> ever since I came here to the conference, I've been asked, Harry, where have you been? And I said, I'm in St. Louis, and I'm in treatment. Well, what have you been doing? And I gave all kinds of reasons. The basic reasons of what I did, what I have been doing for the last uh, 15 months is building up trust, becoming trustworthy. I didn't think I needed that when I went there. Uh, and the reason given that I had to build up trust was that I was not safe with women. And uh, I didn't trust the people who told me that for their judgment. And um, the by the way, at in the treatment centers, uh, treatment centers for priests and brothers only, those with addictive problems and depression and other such, it makes it impossible for them to practice their ministry or to live with the religious group to which they belong. <clears throat> and, uh, oh, that's when I first entered treatment. I went for evaluation and uh, and shared my version of the story as why I was there and took all the tests and it was they said I could recover they thought it was possible for me to recover so I was asked to remain in treatment but then I ended up I was told I, I said well, the first thing I want to do is to go to to SA meeting 12 step meeting if that was my life and and they said no you are restricted you cannot leave the premises and there were no 12 step meetings there and I said why 
because we were told you are not to be trusted. Then that said, I didn't say anymore. They just said, you, why can't I, I want to go now? We have not built up enough trust. After that was first eight, eight months, then I got to go to a few meetings, and then I started thinking, when do I get out of here? Because I to where I thought I belonged. And mostly with the fellowship. And the answer came, you have not, are not sufficiently changed to be trusted. Uh, I've made progress. God, God's helping with the help of people in the treatment center. Now I have another problem. I still have a problem. And it really comes down to I trust them. I mean, the people at the treatment center for their evaluation. And, uh, and do I trust my religious community, my the authorities in my religious community, to act, to make the right decision about what I am to do. Their recommendation has been so far that I remain in treatment or in a recovery unit. They haven't said for the rest of my life, but there's no other hope than given. <clears throat> now, and behind that. Do I trust God to speak through the people in the treatment unit and my peers? I mean, to speak through them, and especially to speak through the religious authorities in my life, my religious superiors. And I'm really struggling with that one. And... Uh, well, one thing, I was in a mental hospital before, I mean, I was in a mental hospital before, and they asked me, what would you like, most like to be remembered for, you know, if you should die today? And I wrote, I would like to be remembered as honest and trustworthy. And I thought I was. The program is helping me to get there. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Jack, gratefully recovering sexaholic. Yeah, this issue of trust is a uh, absolutely huge issue for me. I've been in the program since September of 95. My sobriety date is uh, May 26, 97. Uh, and I've been reminded in the things I've participated in that uh, notwithstanding sobriety, I've still got a, a long ways to go in uh, truly getting uh, any kind of victory over lust. But on the trust side of it, I've, it's been the biggest issue in my life the last year. Um, I was a uh, victim of uh, incest and uh, molestation and torture and um, uh, physical and emotional abuse uh, through roughly a decade of my childhood. Um, I came out of that experience uh, with absolutely one uh, guiding principle. I cannot trust anybody uh, other than myself. And I also bought into uh, a number of lies. Um, one of the lies that I bought into was that I was responsible for everything that had been done to me uh, and that um, it was all my fault. Another lie that I bought into was my mother's uh, pet phrase for me was that I was a worthless piece of... And uh, I believed that. Another lie that I bought into was that um, nobody could ever comfort me but me. And there's another dozen or so lies that I could string onto it. And what I've been confronting for the last year is that um, I'm addicted to these lies just as I'm addicted to um, busting. And they, they feed each other. The uh, And I don't have yet trust sufficient to completely give up those lies. I work at it. 
I surrender daily. Um, but what I know deep, 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 deep in my soul is I'm not ready to give those things up. I'm, I'm not ready to give the lies up. I've, I've bought them so completely and fully that they still significantly affect uh, my life. So uh, I've also learned another thing that I'm addicted to, and that's depression. If you wallow around in these things uh, long enough, uh, you stay in a depressed state. And I've been in an acute state of depression for the last 15 to 18 months. I've uh, gotten a lot of help with that, uh, both medically and spiritually. But I've uh, spent a lot of time wallowing there. And I'm just so grateful for this conference and the uh, focus on absolute surrender. Uh, because what's really God has given me this gift of this time um, had already caused me to think about these things and then has brought all of this together. Um, for me personally, to have a place to really get focus on uh, the surrender issues, whether I can absolutely surrender and whether I can ever really trust. It, um, you know, I don't, I don't have the answers. I, I know the questions at this point, and I guess that's in progress. I've stopped doing the uh, stupid uh, sexual acting out behaviors that uh, caused me to crash and burn a few years ago. I've made a lot of progress that way. Um, I've learned to trust people through people in the program. I think this is the first place that I encountered anybody that I really felt I could trust. I was crushed, broken, walked into my first meeting in Pasadena uh, five and a half years ago, and um, there were people there who genuinely cared, and I just kind of knew it in my heart that they did in a way that I'd never experienced with anybody before. So I really liked the uh, comments about uh, trust and uh, how this program helps us learn little bits and pieces about trust. But I just have to confess that um, as I sit here this minute, my biggest challenge is that I haven't yet come to the place of trust enough in God that um, I can let go of these things that have been sacred to me. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Thank Um, I'm, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, hi, I'm Vinita. I'm a sexaholic, <clears throat> and I come from San Diego, and <clears throat> I've been sober for uh, three years and uh, three months by the grace of God and by the miracle of this program of uh, Sexaholics Anonymous. The reason I'm sharing here is because of what Kathy said. I'm really scared to come up here and share <laughs> right now. Um, I am. Uh, you know, I, I go to a large group uh, in San Diego. It's a wonderful group on Tuesday nights. Uh, we usually have between. 40 and 45 people, uh, and uh, it becomes a routine when you go to a group that large. You know, you know, get to know people. It get, just becomes easier and easier to share. <laughs> uh, you get a level of comfort, and then you come here and you don't know anyone, and uh, it's it's scary uh, to come up. So I really wanted to come up and face those fears. <clears throat> um, I grew up in an alcoholic family. Uh, grew up in India. I came here 11 years ago um, uh, to go to graduate school. And uh, uh, I completely relate to some of the things that were shared. Uh, couldn't trust my dad. He used to break promises uh, every day. He used to tell me he won't get drunk tomorrow. He used to get drunk all over again and make a fool of himself. And, uh, you know, I went through a tremendous amount of emotional and uh, tremendous amount of emotional um, um, uh, uh, and physical torture when I was growing up. Um, uh, <coughs> um, uh, and that told me not, you know, that taught me not to trust. Uh, the area where trust really comes up to me, where it manifests itself in me, is fear. It really does. I mean, that's that's the biggest character defect. That you know, that's the big, biggest area where it manifests itself. And uh, I've been so scared since I was a child. I mean, it's just incredible. I've been facing these issues. You know, insecurity and being scared has been just such a big thing uh, recently. Last year, I went through a pretty pretty big anxiety attack, and people who are in that Tuesday night group know about my sharing of that. I was absolutely out of control in terms of fear. It just came out. I go to a meditation seminar every year for you know for for a period of time, and 
uh, that's part of my spiritual practice. And I went there and I came out of it and I couldn't stop my anxiety. I always have anxiety in the meditation after two or three days. You know, it's a silent meditation program. You go into it for two or three days and the fear comes up. And usually after the program, it used to, you know, go away. And this time it won't stop. And I came out and I just had this huge anxiety attack um, for a month. And I just didn't know what, what was happening. And, I, I, you know, later on I realized why I had that. And I, the reason I was, I really hadn't experienced powerlessness. I had a pretty, uh, pretty uh, shadow bottom, I think, and I really, truly did not understand what powerlessness was all about till I went through this anxiety attack, and I was completely powerless for a month. I just thought I was going to die, uh, and I used to go to meetings, and I did all the steps. I used to work, <laughs> you know, I used to write. I, I went to my therapist. I, I, I had to do literally everything in the program to trust, to trust that I was going to be okay, and I was. I survived. And I know now that I can survive an anxiety attack. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was, that was phenomenal. Um, so, uh, you know, fear is, fear is a huge thing. Another area where uh, trust manifests is, uh, someone on the panel shared, uh, Kirk shared, um, is, uh, trust with my wife. Uh, uh, three years ago, uh, after I got into the program and I started doing my steps, I started making amends, um, yeah, about two and a half years ago. And one of the persons I made amends to was my wife, um, uh, um, and it was an interesting way how I made that amend. I told her I had been unfaithful, and then I gave her an option uh, at the suggestion of my therapist. Uh, I told her that uh, she can either, you know, she I can tell her everything she, she wants, but, you know, I would recommend that you don't ask me all the details because it might, you know, it might uh, cause issues in her marriage which may be irreparable. And uh, she said, okay, I'll think about it, and she never asked me. Uh, and I thought, wow, that was great. Yeah, you know, I could wing my way out of that. It was fantastic. But I could not forgive myself because of that. Uh, right around the time when I was having my anxiety attack, and it's amazing how things happen, um, you know, uh, when they happen. Um, uh, towards the end of that month I was, when I was having the anxiety attack, uh, I came home that night after a meeting, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I said hi to my wife, uh, hello to my children. They were going to bed. And uh, my wife put them to bed, and she came out and said, I need to talk to you about something. So I said, okay, what's, what do you want to talk about? She said, why do you leave uh, your, uh, why do you leave your, the, you know, your journal out? Uh, why don't you put your journal in a secure place? I said, uh, what do you mean? She said, the kids were playing with it. Uh, and my daughter is seven now, and she's just, 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 just starting to read it. And, and, and my wife found it. And, uh, you know, she hadn't read anything, but my wife read my entire first step uh, in the journal. And she says, you know what, I read your entire first step, and I'm totally devastated by it. And, I, you know, I was so scared when that happened. And I can tell you now that's the best thing that happened to me, absolutely the best thing. Because now I know that I can forgive myself. There's nothing to hide at all. Um, and we have a strong relationship and, um, you know, loving and loving and true relationship that we, I, I could never have. She could. But there's something that she said after she read that journal that I can, I, I, you know, I remember every day. And she said, and she's she, she's a wonderful person. She trusts everyone. Her, her 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 way of thinking is, I trust you until you prove my prove to me that I cannot trust you. My way of thinking always was, I don't trust you until you prove to me that you need to be trusted. Um, and she said, you know what? Um, I read this and I have a big dilemma now. I said, what is it? And she said. Uh, I have trusted everyone in my life, and now I can't trust the person I love the most. That's you. And that was truly devastating to me. Um, uh, we have, you know, since the sharing, we have grown much closer. We talk about a lot. We have been, to, you know, counseling together. And we have made a lot of progress in the area of trust. And I'm, I'm, and for that, I'm truly, truly thankful. Uh, so that's my share. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. I'm David. I'm a sexaholic. Well, I thank the panel to start with, um, and it seems like a good medium for me to be writing, so maybe coming from uh, Roy K's uh, last uh, meeting, this seemed to start me going. And uh, So what I'd like to share with you 
um, is my background is I have about a year and 10 months. My sobriety date is March 22nd of 1999. Um, when I go back in time, which some of which I can't remember, but through the work that I've done, there was covert incest. Uh, I had enmeshment. Um, my father died when I was quite early. My mother never remarried. And I was physically assaulted when I was uh, very, very young. Um, what that seemed to manifest itself in me was uh, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection. Um, it led to financial insecurity, uh, fear of financial insecurity, irresponsibility, over-responsibility really, really is what happened, uh, caretaking, approval-seeking from my family, overwhelming by the needs of, of others. When I think of trust, um, to me, trust epitomizes openness, or honesty, openness, and willingness. That's what I really think of. I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't want to be honest. We all want to. We thought we were. We, we don't know why we did what we did. Uh, there's a, a terrific desire to be honest. Um, and I certainly want to be. Uh, when I think of openness, I think of uh, the isolation that I sometimes put myself in. And I don't know why I isolate. And when I try to think about that, it seems to go, for me, to a sense of shame um, that I can't open up. I can't open up what's happening in my life today. I can't open up with my life about what's happened in the past. It isn't that I don't want to. It seems to be crowded because of shame. And the shame seems to have something to do with inadequacy. I haven't got it all linked together, but I know that I want to be open. I want to get this stuff out. And I seem to, even when something happens in the day, instead of telling my sponsor, I seem to seize it and hold on to it, and I don't know why I do that. I have a willingness. Um, lots of people have commented on that. And I think that's an accountability to God is what I find in a willingness. That's a synonym that I do. It's an accountability to myself, too, and an accountability to my sponsor and to the group is what I try to do when I think of willingness. Again, I just I can't seem to do it today. I, sometimes it takes me a while. When I go through those things I, and I think of trust, um, I remember a course that was done by Stephen Covey, and he talked about learn, uh, love, live, and leave a legacy. And he sort of did four circles when he did that, and the four circles kind of all overlapped each other. And where they overlapped, um, there was a sense of trust. And it was like if you have a balance in your life between all of those things, um, that what happens is there's a fire from within, and that builds a trust. It builds a trust with you. It builds a trust with an organization that you're in. Um, when I think of learning, it's like this program. I've tried to listen, read, study the materials. I really tried to learn a lot of things from a lot of different people as well. When I think of love, I think of kindness, and the kindness that's in our group when we see other people. Um, it seems to me that the 12th step is something that I try to do for other people, and it seems to me that that's part of what, what the love part is. Leaving a legacy is sort of the spiritual part. And for me, when I came into the program, I didn't believe in God. God had disappointed me in so many different ways, I didn't want to accept it. Now God is very much a part of my life, and it's not a God that somebody else imposed on me. It's my God. It's the God that I designed. When I think about living, I think about a usefulness, a contribution that you make to other people and to your own economy, to your family, but all of those things in a sense of balance, I'm not a really balanced person. So when I try to do anything, I seem like I've got to focus so hard on one particular thing that I seem to lose sight of everything else. Anyway, what I hope is that I can find a trust in that. When I think of trust, I think of four different areas. I think about God's will and the fact that I don't know what it is for me. And I have to trust that, and I know that, but I sort of believe that God's out there now. That's one step. This next step is that his, God, his will is going to be something good for me. Sometimes I think that I don't know where I'm going to go and what is his will, and I wish I could understand, but I don't know where it's going to lead. I have a trust, as some of the people said here, for other men. I don't know why I don't trust them, but I have a strong distrust for other men. Like, they're going to, I don't know, there's a competition or something going on, and I feel like I'm always in it, so I don't trust them. I don't want to give them too much. But think of women, I also think of my wife sort of comes to the top. I've given her all the reasons in the world to reject me and to abandon me, and she's stuck by me. And I still don't trust her. When she goes away or something, I think she's going to find Mr. Perfect and leave me. I think I'm going to be abandoned. I don't know why I have that, but it's like I can't seem to find that trust. And, and fourth thing that I find trouble trusting is myself. I used to think that when somebody told me something, I had to pass it on to somebody else. I don't do that now. It was like gossiping, and I don't know why I did it, but it seemed like I was stuck on doing that. Boundaries for me is something that I always had a problem with. Now I'm just about always on time, and it's been a big change in my behavior. 
I don't trust myself that I'm going to stay sober. I want to, but I don't know if I'll stay sober, and I and I, I really lack that trust. I'm starting to like myself more, and I figure that uh, part of myself in liking myself is the fact that I've stuck by some commitments. I did the 12 steps. It was an 18-week program. Some of you may know of a Novelco program where I, where I was involved in it. And I never missed a day. And at the end of it, they gave a little award out for people who had made it. And I was kind of like, oh, isn't this nice that the people are all going to get an award? And then it was like, I got one of these. And I went, oh, I must have missed something. Because it just wasn't in my character to be able to do that. I made that commitment. It was like a, one of the first times in this program where I always I went, gee, I made it. So maybe with some luck and with God's will, I'll be able to trust myself more. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. for one or two more and then we'll close. All right. I'm Jim Sextolic. Oh, I'm going to give you all of this. <laughs> uh, for me, trust is like what Kathy said, getting up here and sharing. You know, that, that is a biggie because I'm going to be in the... Uh, um, I write poems and everything and I want to uh, be in the... In the uh, what is it called? Entertainment Tonight? The, the talent show. So I love doing that and everything. So... To me, if I if I do something different in my life and everything, I'm going to trust that I'm going to be different. If I don't do anything different in my life, I'm going to trust I'll be the same. And how am I going to grow and how am I going to learn if I'm going to do the same thing over and over again and get the same results? So just a new experience for me to be able to do that. My sobriety date isn't very long. Uh, it's uh, probably about seven or eight days. But, you know, I've been in and out of the program for years and... Uh, I didn't really understand where I was with myself and not trusting myself and what was going on. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of characteristics of my life that were missing. Um, the characteristics of my life were giving myself love, affection, attention, approval, and acceptance. I didn't have a clue what that was. So if I don't have that and if I'm not doing that and if I didn't get that, how am I going to trust anybody? So the dictionary became a, a big part of my life and recovery to open that book up and to see what those words meant and uh, allow myself to do that to myself. If I'm not doing that to me, I don't have it in me to do it to anybody else either. So if I'm going to attract a, a mate or if I'm just going to be, you know, more peaceful with myself, those words and giving them to myself, practicing over and over and over again, which is surrender, which is trust again, to give myself these words, these are the things I was looking for, you know, I was trying to find it somebody else on the outside of somebody else all the time. So for myself, um, you know, I give myself those words, you know, and for right now I'm into like mutual dependence, you know, depending on another person that I can talk to that person and be able to share my experience and, and what I'm going through, what my growth is on identifying these new characteristics of myself, which is, to me is identifying the new the characteristics of God that God has already been that I'm able to pull in for myself now and recognize that this is what I didn't get. You know, my parents had 11 kids. I was right in the middle. When they got busier, I didn't get very much at all. When you're, you're number five or six out of 11, they kind of got busier, and I kind of got, like, nothing, you know. But um, I'm not complaining because <laughs> what I have now is, is is incredible. So in comparison to what I had just a few years ago. And um, so I just wanted to share that, you know, the dictionary for me is a real tool for me to be able to look up words and go, God, what does it mean? I can say these words, I trust, I care, but what does it really mean? Am I really practicing that in my own life? Am I really honoring myself? Am I really being respectable and respecting myself? I don't even know how to, you know, if I don't know how to do that to me, how do I expect to be in a relationship? I just can't do it. So for me, to be able to look those words up, be those words to me, because I'm a human being, not a human doing. You know, the human doing part is what I was always doing. It wasn't anything to do with what I was being, because the being part is my my spirit. And my spirit is all those characteristics of God, whether it be trustworthy, loyal, honest, caring, sharing, uh, all those words, those are all me. And those are all the words I didn't, I didn't remember, I forgot. I just became a human doing, and that kind of um, um, slipped away from me um, because of that's what that's all I did. 
Anyhow, I just wrote a little poem on the way here yesterday. It took 11 hours to get from Phoenix. So I think it's only, what, you guys, seven-hour drive? Seven hours? I took 11. <laughs> but I took my time. I drive a bus in Phoenix. And, and for me to drive a bus, you know, you got to be on schedule all the time and everything, which is a good thing, you know. And it's a, it's a focus thing, you know. I get paid to focus. It's like, wow, what a deal, you know. I mean, I, I feel like I should pay them for working there because God has given me so much in this job, and I'm just so honored to do it. Being a public servant. Me? I mean, geez, you know my past, you'd, <laughs> you'd wonder, but I deserve that too, so. Um, so I took time out to write a poem yesterday, I write a lot of poems actually, and this one here, uh, is called Hide and Seek. If I'm outside playing, sooner or later I'll get, I will get lost. When I'm inside resting, I know my way around. I've always known, I've just forgotten. Please remind me of who I am. The pleasure is utmost, to live for today in eternity. Behold, the light will lead me out of the darkness, once shared, once dared, to kindle and capture moments to survive. Now I get to do it again. Progress of uncertainty always wins over when I work at it. Thanks. My name's Wendy. I'm a recovering sexaholic. You know, it's funny. Often I come to meetings and uh, I think, I don't have anything to share. Um, But inevitably, God put something on my heart and I realized that I can identify with with the topic. and, And for me, trust is, or the lack thereof, has been a really big issue. I was trained to not trust, I think, from from infancy, literally from the time I was about six weeks old. Um, I I was trained to not trust. I never attached to my mom. She she just couldn't be there. And so from a really, really young age and in, in many arenas, I'm trying to speak up. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I just knew that it wasn't safe to trust because the people in my life weren't weren't trustworthy um anyway really all i wanted to share on this topic is that um well actually let me back up today i have 101 days of sobriety and um thanks um what i'm what i'm discovered though is that in sobriety I can be real, and for me, trust and realness are, I, I equate those, and I, I think if I can't be real in who I am and what I'm doing and um, just where I'm at, then I can't trust. I can't trust other people. I can't trust myself. I can't trust God, um, and so as I grow in my sobriety, which I likes to call freedom, um, is I, I'm learning to trust. You know, I've, I've been in therapy for a long time, and over the last three months, I've entered a new level of trust with my therapist because I'm more real with who I am. And um, so if I take nothing else from the program... <coughs> I I take a new level of trust, and I'm I'm excited because I know I'm going to continue to grow in that trust. So, thanks for letting me share. That's all the time we have for sharing. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our twelve steps and twelve traditions. This is an anonymous program, so please keep the name, number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA or SNN to yourself. What we say here, let it stay here. Here, here. And after, why don't we stand, and uh, we won't try to get a circle, but try to hold hands. And after a moment of uh, silence, I'd like to ask Cade if he would start us 
on um, <coughs> the serenity prayer. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.